You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, good morning. I just want to say you guys are rock stars because you're here an hour early in the rain. I mean, if you're here, you are committed today. So good job. If you are here, well done, well done. We'll all wake up together, and we're going to get in God's Word. It's going to be just a great, great day, and we are so thankful for the rain, because let me tell you, last year when it was drought time, and they're finding like, you know, petroglyphs and other things in Folsom Lake. Okay, they're just finding old ruins in Folsom Lake, and things like that. We're thinking, will it ever rain? And then now we're like almost between last weekend and this weekend, my rain gauge says, you know, pushing up toward five inches, which is phenomenal. So uh, let's just thank God for that real quick. Just, uh, that's good stuff. You can applaud. Say, thank you, Lord, for rain. It's good. I want you to know I love my church, and I love the head of the church, which is Jesus Christ. I love him. I love doing what I do, not because I love religion. I don't. I love relationship with God, and God affords me the opportunity that my career and my calling can intertwine, and I love the church, and I want you to know that God loves you. He wants to engage with you here today. He wasn't, doesn't just want you to like somehow worship him as if he's distant or afar. He wants to engage with you today. He's so happy you're here. He's so happy you slow down. He's so happy that you open up his word and that today you get to look at it. He's so happy you get to talk to him today. He's wonderfully happy about that. He wants to engage your life. He wants to connect with you. He wants to have relationship with you and walk in relationship with you. And he wants to provide you with meaningful opportunities to tell others about him. So let's just pray to Jesus just for a minute here together. Let's pray. Father God, I'm, I'm just sure that everyone here expects to hear some routine or some polished prayer. Uh, but God, today I just want to say I need you. I haven't felt the best this week, and, and I just need you. Um, God, I, I'm just going to get out of the way and let you do and speak the things that you want uh, to your people. So, God, meet with us now. We're so happy that you're here. We're so glad that in our normal bustle and hustle of our life, we can just come and be with you. So we want to do things for your kingdom, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this morning... Paul, in the book of Colossians, in chapter 4, beginning with verse 2, if you want to open there, he's going to talk to us this morning really about the importance of prayer. But here's what I believe. I do not need to convince any person in this room that prayer is important. That's a cognitive function. Everyone's going to go, of course prayer is important. No pro- I got it. No problem. What I want to do today is to engage you in the opportunity and give you some helpful things to apply what you already know. Because it's not that we need convincing that prayer is important, we need convincing that it needs to become a routine in our life, that we need to pray in an ongoing way, and God has a plan for your prayer life. If you have your outline in your program, there's some notes in there I think will be helpful this morning for you. Number one, God's got a plan for your prayer life, and that's to devote yourself to prayer. And so Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, says this to them, really to us. He says, listen, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in what? Chains. Paul's in chains. He's in prison. He's writing a letter from prison to the church at Colossae. 
So he's saying, listen, that God would open a door so I could proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Verse 4, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And let your conversation all be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So Paul writes these instructions. He's already gone through all the different things in chapter 1, 2, 3. He's now in chapter 4. And he's saying, again, after chapter 3, we lay down these old things. We pick up these new things. And part of walking in relationship with Christ is that you and I have an ongoing dialogue with him that we begin to pray that not only that, but we devote ourselves to the act and the action of prayer. He gives four commands real quick. He gives four commands right away in this passage. The first one is that you and I ought to be devoted to prayer. Devote means continue. It means to persist, to persevere, to be faithful, to not just be a crisis prayer. You know what I'm talking about? A crisis prayer, you know, you haven't studied for the test, and all of a sudden you need to pass the test, and so the morning of the test, you get up and you say, dear God, please, please, God, you're so good, but please help me pass the test, right? It means to be devoted, means to continue to an ongoing way, not just in the moment of crisis, but in an ongoing, regular way. How many of you in this room would say that you, at, uh, for certain teams, you are a devoted sports fan? Come on, even in the bad seasons, right? Even when the Denver Broncos look at Kaepernick, right? The Lord tests us sometimes, I'm just saying. It may be a good restart for him, huh? But we are looking at these and you persist, even when they win the Super Bowl, even when they don't, you're, you're devoted to that team. In the same way, Paul is saying be, persist when things are going well, when things are not going so well, in long seasons where you have to endure in regular days where you just get distracted, but that you be devoted to prayer. Now, let me ask you this question. Sometimes I hear people say, well, I don't know, you know, should we continue? They'll ask me this question. Hey, should we continue bringing our requests before God? Because God already knows about them. Do we just mention it once? Because God knows everything. He already knows about my prayer request, so I just told him once, and he ought to just know that. What do you think? Should we continue bringing our requests to him, or should we just mention it once? What do you think? Continue. continue, right, of course. We want to continue. Now, let me, let me just give that some, some uh, example. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 5, verse 9, he's talking about a persistent person, and he goes on in verse 9 and says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For any, everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds until the one uh, who knocks, the door will be opened. And he goes on to just talk about keep persisting, keep asking, keep pursuing. See, being devoted to prayer is not that we just give a request once to God, we forget about it, and we move forward. But that all of a sudden we just say, God, in an ongoing, regular way, I'm going to persist in prayer. Well, why? Why would God have you or me, God who knows it all, God who actually knows how your prayer request is going to be answered, right? So when you and I pray, he already knows how it turns out. You and I don't, but he does. But he wants you and I to persist in prayer. So let me ask, who is praying really for? Is it for God or is it for us? Who does it change? Does it, does it change God's character? No, God remains unchanged in his character. But does it change our character? You bet it does. 
I learned to persist. I learned to persevere. I learned to hang in there. As I pray, I begin to have my eyes open, not just on my situation and the woe or me's, but I begin to have my eyes open up to what God would want, that there may be something bigger, there may be something different in this. So prayer begins to change me and my character. Who is praying really for? Does prayer sometimes expedite things? Absolutely. Does prayer sometimes change the mind of God? We've seen that when people have prayed in Scripture, and God changes maybe his mind on a situation, but he doesn't change his character, but he might change his mind because his people pray. Jesus himself prayed regularly, all the time, to God the Father. Who's praying really for? But i got to be careful because sometimes when I say the word well, if I use a phrase, somebody who's devoted to prayer, I want you to picture what that looks like in your mind real quick. What does a devoted prayer look like? What does that person look like? What do they look like? Are they always like in this inner room in their closet? Some of you seen the movie War Room, and you're like, man, you know, there's this little old lady who's just praying all the time, and she's all feisty, and, you know, gets all, is that what that looks like? But I want to let you know, we, we actually did a, we had uh, some people come in and did, do an intercessory, which means an asking or a praying workshop for our staff. So we had these people come in from outside and just t- walk us through like, hey, here's some great ways to be a prayer and to get people praying around you. And one of the things that was really eye-opening for me and for others on our staff was they talked about four different types of ways that people pray. Because just like our personalities are different, so are the ways that you and I pray. They're different. And sometimes you and I think we ought to be somebody different. Like, to pray, i got to change my personality. If I'm going to pray, i got to be like this person or that person. But the truth is, God has made you uniquely you. And so this is not on your outline, but I want you to write it down. So take your pen out, if you will. There are four different types of prayers that I want to run you through here this morning. The first one are warriors. Warriors. These are the people who pray, and they sound like they are just about ready to run out the door and go to battle. And they will just take a stand in Jesus' name, we command. And they're just like, they're going to battle, right? You get together with a person like that, and they're just, you feel fired up. You feel like it was just like, you're about ready to run out on the football field and run through the banner, you know, and just take the field. That's what you feel like with a person who's a warrior. And some people pray like that. And and maybe you, you're like, that is not my personality. But some of you are. You're a warrior prayer. You don't want apathetic. You don't want like light and meaningful. You're like, let's do something. This is battle. Let's go. And some of you are warrior prayers. Some of you, though, are watchers. Watchers. These are the people who, as you pray, you're saying, God, I, I see this change in our culture. God, I see what's going on in our world. God, I see this relationship and that relationship, and they're moving together. And God, you might be drawing that person to yourself. And, and I'm looking and I'm seeing, God, how you're weaving events in life. And, and you're just somebody who's like, God, as I'm, as I'm observing life, I'm watching you move in different ways. And God, I want to be on board with what you're already doing. And so, so you're a watcher. You're like, God, I am anticipating. I'm watching to see what you're doing. I'm seeing motion here, God. I'm seeing movement, and I'm following you as I begin to see what you're doing in our world. You might be a watcher. You might be a writer, a writer. And a writer is a person who sometimes, some of you are like, if I'm going to pray at all, I need a list. And you might make a big list. And when you pray, you want to pray through your entire list because on the inside you feel like, if I get through the list, then I'm being on task. I'm actually being focused. Some of you might be a writer that you actually write your prayers. You don't write in a journal like Dear Journal or like a Dear Diary, but you write. You write your prayers to keep focused. I do this. 
a bit. That just help keep my mind focused so I'm not wandering, that I'm, I'm being intentional about what I'm saying. And I, I do like to look back and see, God, how have you answered prayers over the years? Think prayers I've forgotten about. Look at that. We prayed that back then, but I forgot about it, but you didn't forget about it. And God, look at what you've done. And some people, you might want a list to help keep you on guideline. You might want to write your prayers out. And that's okay. You may not be praying like somebody else, but you're praying, you're interacting with God in that way. And some of you pray, you are worshipers. And when you pray, you are the ones who just basically just, you get involved in that praise music, whether it's in your car or it's here at church. And in the moment of lifting God up and worshiping him, you maybe got Christian radio going on. And it's then that they just all that worship drives you to talk to God. You might be out in nature and just as you're out in nature, you see all this and just brings your heart to worship. And it's there that you begin to talk to God. Four different types of ways that people pray, and you might bleed over to a lot of them. You say, Dave, which one are you predominantly? I'm a watcher. That's how God's wired me. And there are times I will be a warrior and go to battle. There will be times I will write down my prayers. There will be times I will worship, but largely how God has wired me and my inner man is to be a watcher. God, what are you doing, and how are you weaving things together? And we want to make sure that we're on board with you, God. And I begin to seek him. Others of you are the warrior. You're knocking and you're banging on that door. Others of you are askers and you've got your list and you're asking. And all those parts are necessary when it comes to you and I being devoted to prayer. Prayer changes us on the inside. And it changes circumstances in our world. And answers come from God. And so it's regularly talking to God throughout the day in each situation let me encourage you, start your day in prayer and with the word of God. Why? Why would we start our day off in prayer and with the word of God? We do this because it's like we wake up. We wake up, we become awake, we become engaged to opportunities that might perk up during our day. If I just get up and I get my breakfast and I drink some coffee and I'm off to work, then I'm just going to react as each opportunity comes up and it's just going to maybe take me by surprise. But when I get up and I'm beginning to pray, when I'm in God's word, maybe God's word before my feet hit the floor and I give God the first and best of my day, then I'm awake spiritually. Then I'm looking throughout my day for opportunities that God might bring along. Suddenly I'm like on his plan, not just on Dave's plan, because God's got a plan for my prayer life, and he's got one for years. What happens? It's like this. You're like a shopper. How many of you like here like to shop? Come on, be honest. How many of you like to shop? If your spouse who's a chronic shopper did not raise her hand, make sure you nudge them. But like a shopper, it's like getting up and doing his or her research, right? You're going to identify what are current prices, what would be a good opportunity, what is a great bargain, right? But there's another type of shopper, that's the person who, who sleepwalks through the mall. They're just kind of browsing around. They don't even know if it's a good deal. They buy a TV after Black Friday. I mean, they just, you know, they just kind of sleepwalking through the mall. They just, whatever comes along, and they, they have no idea if it's a good bargain. But there are other people who are like the coupon cutters, the bargain shoppers. They're ones who are prepared, right? What happens when you and I start our day off in the Word and with prayer? We begin to walk throughout our day, being prepared to pray with the Lord and looking for opportunities that God might bring along. So what happens? Prayer opens my eyes and the anticipation in my heart. God, how are you going to answer things I'm praying for? God, how are you going to answer different parts of my life? 
So the number one thing, or first thing he says, is be devoted in prayer. But he didn't just stop with devoted. He says this, number two, be watchful in prayer. And the word watch there means keeping awake. It means keeping awake. Why would he say keep awake when you're praying? I mean, how many of you in here, you pray while you're sleeping? I don't, right? But why would Paul use the word keeping awake? Why does he make this point? Matthew 26, verse 41, Jesus is talking to his disciples the night that he's betrayed. He's about to get arrested, tried in two different trials, and then he's going to go to the cross. And he comes and tells his disciples, I can't tell you everything going on, but he basically says, watch and pray. What's he saying? Stay awake, be alert, keep awake, be watchful in prayer. And he says this in Matthew 26, verse 41, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The disciples are thinking, what temptation? If I'm sleeping, I'm not tempted, right? What temptation are you talking about? He's saying, be alert, be alert. What's the temptation? The temptation is to be prayerless. Are you alert to the temptation to be prayerless in your life? Are you alert to your propensity to just get wrapped up in your own world? Are you alert to the fact that you and I get prone to wander? Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Are you alert to that? Are you aware of that? But when we pray and we're devoted to prayer, we become awake. We become watchful. Paul doesn't want you and I or the church in Colossae to be asleep when we should be praying, or more like sleepwalking, being awake but being sleepful in your prayer, an ignorance or a powerlessness to what's going on around you. See, what happens is you and I have a powerful reaction to events that happen in life, right? Something happens and you don't like it and you have a powerful reaction to it. You hear bad news and you, have an, you overreact to it. You hear somebody did something else, and you might overreact to that thing, and you have a powerful reaction, but you have a powerless reaction when you don't pray about it. So you'll take your powerful reaction, and you'll pick up the phone, and you'll call somebody, and you'll talk to a friend, and you'll talk to five people, but you and I, you have a powerful reaction, but you have a powerless reaction without prayer. So you might be having powerful reactions but without prayer, you're sleepwalking. Paul is saying, stay awake, stay alert, be watchful. God, what are you doing? And let me look for the opportunities that you would have out there. It's interesting. Anticipate, wake up, anticipate what is going to happen. It's interesting because the word also implies a thoughtfulness about what you are saying. That we'd be watchful. It's not just like we're watching with our eyes, but that we're, we're thoughtful. It implies a thoughtfulness to it. Let me ask, well, what does then that mean for rote prayers or simple religious phrases? Let's rewind. Think of your prayers. When you pray, do you just kind of say the same phrase? And it's just become routine for you and rote for you. Let, help me out with this one, all right? You're putting the kids down to bed at night and you say, you know, now I lay me down to, Right? Pray the Lord my soul to, if I should, before I, I pray the Lord my, to take. All right, that might be wrote for you, right? But no kid ever wants to fall asleep after hearing that prayer. All they hear is, if I should die before I wake? What kid is like, what kind of sick parental prayer is that? Right? Like, no kid's going to be like, hey, I want to just go to sleep, right? 
If I should die before I wake, take my soul? There's no comfort in that. Every kid's going to be like, I'm sleeping with one eye open because, you know, this is not cool. But what happens? We just get in these routines, right? Before a meal, we might say a grace kind of routine. Before a bedtime, we might say a routine kind of prayer. We might say many thoughtless prayers. We might say many repetitive prayers over and over, but our mind has been disengaged. Our heart has been disengaged. We're not watchful. Are we devoted to the act of prayer? Maybe. But are we actually praying? Maybe we aren't. That there should be a thoughtfulness to it, not just a routine. So what I want to tell you is, listen, avoid vague and general prayers. What if you pray, God, we just want, God, I just want you to help the whole world. Right? That's pretty vague and unspecific, right? Does God want to help the whole world? Yes. How do you do it? Through very specific ways. But we ought to avoid vague and just general prayers. We need to get real. We need to get specific. So we bring our request with an anticipation, a watchfulness of seeing how God is going to answer, how God is going to move, how you and I can respond to the opportunity. Now all of a sudden, when you begin to pray like that with a watchful way, now all of a sudden you're alert, you're awake, you're looking for, to, with the opportunity to grab any opportunity that he brings along. You might even prayer circle. You say, what's a prayer circle? A prayer circle means that you just either figuratively or actually physically are circling a concern in prayer. It means you might walk around it. You might write it down. You might circle it in your Bible and say, God, I'm going to circle that, not just with a physical circle, but I'm going to circle that with prayer. I'm going to walk around it like walking around the walls of Jericho. God, I'm going to pray about this, and I'm going to keep circling around it. Sometimes it's something you do physically. When we moved in this building, so much of what was in the building got really kind of stolen out of it and put in some commercial real estate space a block away. When we figured out where that was, guess what we did? We went over and laid hands on the building, began to pray for it. We began to circle that building. We began to walk around it and pray for it. About three months later, the new owner of all that equipment called us up and said, hey, I own gyms in the Midwest. Are you guys interested in buying any of the window drapes, any of the trash cans? any of the stools, any of the, I mean, just tons of stuff, all these things that we, we could have used. We went back and said, well, you could make a donation letter and you'll get a tax write-off. We began to work with them and we're able to do it, but how does that happen? How does someone out of the blue, we don't know, call us and say, you want the stuff back? Because we circled it in prayer. There are times in your life that you need to circle something. You might need to walk around your house. You might need to walk around your situation. You might need to circle or pray in your kids' rooms. You might need to circle just something that you're like on your list and say, God, every day when I come to it, it's like I'm physically circling this in prayer because I need the walls to fall down. So we want to be watchful in prayer. Now you and I are awake. God's going to do something. What's he going to do? I want to seize that opportunity. And Paul says that we're to be thankful in prayer. And they stressed this thankfulness idea all throughout the whole book. Do you remember? He did it in chapter 1, verse 12, 2, verse 7, 3, verse 15, 3, verse 17, and now here in 4, verse 2. What does thankfulness do to your emotions? Think about it. When you pray, God, I'm asking you for this. I'm praying for this request. God, I'm praying that you would do this. And now you're watching. God, I'm watching to see if you're going to do it. God, I'm awake, my, my mind is open. And now before it's been answered, 
You're thanking God for what he's already going to do in the prayer. Listen, before you have it, before you have it completed, you're saying, God, you're ahead of me. You have already know how this works out. God, I thank you. What happens when you're all stressed? What happens when the crisis comes up and you're fearful? What happens when you're afraid, but you pray with watchfulness and thankfulness? What happens when you and I become thankful? God, I thank you that this is not all up to me. What does that do to your emotions? It lets the air out of the balloon a little bit, doesn't it, of your stress. What happens when you're stressed off the charts? God, I thank you that you're going to give me every step, and I don't need to have it all figured out and know everything, but you'll give me just the next step when I need it. What does thankfulness do to your emotions? It gives you peace, doesn't it? It gives you anticipation, doesn't it, that you're not alone, that God's going to work and that he's going to do something. But let me ask, what, what's the opposite? What about when you and I pray and we pray without thankfulness? Because it happens, right? Oh, people all the time, we pray without thankfulness. What does it sound like? God, I'm really kind of bitter at you for this. Just going to be honest, I've been holding a grudge against you. God, I asked you to do this for me, but you didn't show up or you didn't do this. God, I feel entitled. It's just all about me, 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 me. God, I want my will done on earth and heaven. It's all about me, right? There's no thankfulness in that. It's just all about me. What about unbelief? See, when you and I pray without thankfulness, it begins to reveal that sometimes we don't even believe what we're praying. God, I wish just once in life you would do something good for me. What does that say? I don't believe you've ever done anything good for me. It reveals my unbelief, doesn't it? Maybe this stuff works for someone else, God, but I don't think it would ever work for me. What do we pray? I'm just, I'm just out loud saying my unbelief. We're to be thankful in prayer. And what does thankfulness then do for your emotions? What does thankfulness do for your watchfulness? What does thankfulness do for your gratitude and your joy? Thankfulness is, is the beginning of joy. And then number four, he says, pray that the door for the word may be opened. This is such an interesting phrase that Paul says. He says, pray for me. Pray that the door will be open for the word, that it will be open. But let me ask, what door would you assume Paul would ask to be opened? He's in jail. What door do you think he would be like, hey, Pray that the jail cell would be open, right? Get me out of here. Please, get the viral social networking going and free Pastor Paul. That's what they want, right? Hey, let's get a movement going. Let's get a prayer movement. Get me out of here. Get me out of my bad circumstances. Pray that the jail cell door would be open. That's not what Paul prays. Not at all. He knows what it's like to have the jail doors open and, be, and to walk right out. That's happened before in his life. But here, he's not asking for that at all. He's praying that the door for the word may be opened. He's praying for the door for the word to be opened. What do you think he means by door? Does he just mean door? No, he means the opportunity. See, door equals opportunity. That's what he's saying. Pray that the opportunity for the word may be opened. And I've written on your notes that the purpose of prayer is not to get human will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. 
But so often we take our request, right? And we're trying to get my will done in heaven. But what did Jesus say when he was going to get betrayed, arrested, crucified? After being honest with God about all his fears in those regards, he says, not my will be done, but thine. And it was then that he had courage to walk through the opportunity that God had planned for ages past to provide a way for you and I to be saved. Well, how should I be praying? Paul is asking his his people, will you pray for me? The word came to the church at Colossae because of Paul's work in another city. And he's saying, listen, I'm asking you Colossians, I'm asking you people to pray for me. My question to you today is, how should you be praying for, for me as a pastor? How should you and I be praying for our church as people? How should you and I be praying for Elk Grove or for the opportunity for the word to be open? It's interesting, Charles Spurgeon, this great pastor, said when, when he was asked the secret of his success, this great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, replied, my people pray for me. And he meant it. Members of his congregation regularly met and stormed heaven on his behalf. Pray for me. As your pastor, it's a hard job that I do. It's a big job that I do. I need your prayers. And the success of what God does in and through us as a congregation is not based on personality. It's not based on title. It's based on opportunity for the word to be opened. So what I'm going to ask us to do just here a minute, I'm going to ask us to take some time out in the middle of the sermon time, and we're going to pray. So this is just going to be you in your chair praying. So what I want you to do, there's some little lines there in your outline, and there may be some things in there that you want to pray for as we take a few minutes to pray. But first, I'm going to guide you. So will you just do this? Will you just close your eyes so that you are considering only your own life and you're not distracted? But I'm going to ask all of you, would you first, would you pray for me as your pastor that the door for the word would be open, that God would provide opportunity? pray also for our church staff and all the ministry leaders. Some of you are in specific ministries. Pray specifically for that ministry or that ministry leader. pray for just a moment that God would open the door for Sun Grove Church, through Sun Grove Church, for the word to be proclaimed in Elk Grove. Elk Grove's a big place. We think of your neighborhood. Would you pray 
that God would open up the opportunity for the word to reach into your neighborhood. Will you pray for opportunity for the door to be open that the word of God through Sun Grove Church to be preached in India? Would you pray for that? ask God that the door will be open for the word to be preached up and down the central valley of California. And then right now, I want you to just take a moment. And maybe it's been a while since you prayed. Let me tell you, the only way you learn how to pray is to pray. The only way you learn how to talk to God It's just to talk to him. But maybe there's something you want to write down on those lines in your outline. Maybe there's a weight on your heart, a concern in your mind that you walked in here with a burden today. Would you take a moment and would you circle that burden by praying for it right now? even here today as we pray, will you continue just to change us? God, I thank you right now that you already know the answer to all these prayers that we've just prayed. It is not up to us. We have not been orphaned. We are not alone. God, you're the door opener. You're the opportunity giver. But we want to be like shoppers, God, who we want to be like shoppers who are walking throughout our day and we're, we're looking to just snap up the bargain that you put in front of us. We want to We want to be the kind of people who jump at the opportunity to make our regular day be something that is more, that your will that is already done in heaven would begin to happen here on earth. God, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to respond. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. See, God not only has a plan for your prayer life, but God has a plan for your life witness. And Paul addresses that in this passage. He says, listen, that you and I ought to be wise in the way that we act toward outsiders. In the ways that you and I act toward outsiders. Why? He's not talking about people inside the church anymore. He's now saying, listen, we're praying that you and I ought to walk, ought to be wise in the way that we act toward outsiders. He's talking about you and my reputation. That our reputation with those outside the walls of the church ought to be wise. It ought to reveal wisdom. That you know what, You're, you've got some priorities in your life that are pretty good for you. you. You are a person of faith. You are a person who is is loving. They should know that you love deeply. What was the response so often of non-believers to Judaism? It was rejection. It was we're the outsiders. Genetically, we have no chance to be with them. They are the chosen people. We can't be with them. It was, it was all judgment. As they looked, the reputation of the outsiders was we are rejected. But in the New Testament, Christ says that he came so that all might be saved. 
And so there are those outside the walls of the church, and they need to know that they are loved. So when your reputation is going on among outsiders, they should know that, that you are loving. They should know that you are acting wisely, even though they don't know Christ, listen, yet. Oftentimes, you and I came to Christ because you saw somebody who loved you authentically. You saw somebody who was living with priorities in their life that you wish you had. And you said they're acting wisely. See, it's not just knowledge, but they're acting on the knowledge that they have. It's just not knowledge about prayer. It's acting on the knowledge we have about prayer. We're devoting ourselves to prayer. That person's a person of faith, they would say. But you and I ought to be wise in the way that we act toward outsiders. Well, how should we do that? Being wise means I'm always looking for opportunity. I'm always looking for opportunity. In fact, the word here is such an interesting word. The word there is exagoralomenoi. Exagoralomenoi. Say that for a minute. Exagoralomenoi. It's really hard to say, okay? But that's a Greek word. But what it means, it literally means snap up every good bargain in the marketplace. This is a habitual shopper's dream word right here in Greek. It is just phenomenal. They're like, yeah, you know, the shopaholic is like, woohoo. They love this word. But that's what Paul is saying, saying be wise and always looking for opportunity. What's he saying? He's looking for the opportunity. It's this opportunity to snap up every good bargain in the marketplace. What does it mean? It means not letting any opportunity to share Christ slip by. Redeem the kairos. Redeem the time. Some of us wish you could redeem the time from an hour you lost yesterday or last night, right? How do we redeem the time? We snap up the opportunity to share Christ. Now, what I want you to do is this. When I'm talking about snapping up the opportunity to share Christ, some of you instantly started focusing in the rearview mirror. You just looked at your past, and you just began to feel bad about opportunities gone by. Let me tell you, you already drove by that stuff. It's gone. It's history. I'm not talking about that, and I don't think Paul's talking to the church at Colossae about the rearview mirror. I think he's talking about the windshield. And he's saying, in front of you, look out. Look, watch. Be devoted in prayer. Be thankful. Anticipate. Stay awake. Don't drive while sleeping. Stay awake at the wheel. Keep your eyes on the road. Look for opportunity. And when you see opportunity, snatch up that opportunity. One of the ways you can do that is to pray for opportunity and then watch for it to appear and then say thanks to God. What happens when you pray, God, just for opportunity and you watch for it to appear and then you thank God? So Matt, Kim, and I, we're going to fly off to India and we're going to get on a plane. We've got a really long plane flight. It's like 16 hours from here to Dubai, from San Francisco to Dubai. And so we're on this long plane flight. Well, Matt and I, for sure, bought our tickets at different times, which means our seats are nowhere close to each other. So I'm just, as I'm going to the airport, I'm just praying, God, God, should, you, should I change seats? Should I get to the counter and change seats? So Matt, Lingo, and I, we just sit together. That's a long flight, right? So we just at least have a buddy and, and sit together. Should I do that? And just I'm listening in my spirit. God, should I do that? And in my spirit, I'm just listening. I don't hear an audible voice from God. I'm just listening. God, should I do that? On the inside, I'm listening. And I just sense God saying, no, don't, don't change your seat. Now, that may not be too wise. You'd think the wise thing to do is sit together, right? But he's just saying no. So I'm thinking, okay, if God's telling me don't change my seat, there must be a reason. There must be an opportunity, right? So I'm like, okay, God, so now, guess what? What am I doing? I'm awake. I'm wondering who is going to be sitting by me, right? 
I'm looking to say, hey, who's this unlucky person? No, I mean, who's this? Who's this person? Is there going to be an opportunity somewhere over this flight to share? Maybe there's a reason that I shouldn't be sitting with Matt Lingo on the flight. A young guy named Sharon sits down. There's a seat between us, which was actually a blessing. But he sits down next to me. He's a college student, been in San Francisco for a couple years. He's from India. He's an artist, and he's a philosopher. And the school route is just not for him, but he's going back home to find himself. And so we begin talking on the plane, and right away he's got philosophical questions about God. Right away he just begins asking all these questions, and, and this mind is just reeling. You can tell, like, it is hard for this kid to ever shut his mind off. And he's just reeling. So we start talking. We get in conversation. Finally, after you know, a while, we get up. I'm stretching my legs. I'm walking around. And as I'm, I see Kim McCorston sitting down, I say, Kim, hey, hey, what's going on? And we begin to talk. I suddenly realize we've been flying for five hours. We just had a five-hour conversation about God on this flight. For some of you, that sounds like the worst thing ever. But that was actually pretty cool because it was a good conversation, and, and it just began, you know, and, and did he, did, the, did this young man accept Christ? No. Did he, did he fall down and say, I need Jesus in my life? No. Did he believe everything I said? No. He didn't. But he knew something. He thought there might be some wisdom in the way I was living, and he knew that I cared enough not to just put my headphones in and actually talk to the guy. And so after our trip to India, he looked me up on Twitter. He emailed me. He's going to start reading the case for Christ and the case for faith. Because in his philosophical mind, he wants to learn. Now he just says, listen, this email to me yesterday was like, still, I wonder, you know, philosophically why people believe in a Judeo-Christian God and what causes people to do that. He's, he's taking a very analytic stance to it. But here's what I look for. God, you, you gave opportunity. And I'm going to give you thanks for what you're going to do. And I don't know how this story turns out. And who else you're going to bring into his life along the right points, along the long path of his life to bring him to a place. But here's what I know, God, is that you love him enough that you're reaching to that kid. We pray. We begin to watch for opportunity to appear. And then we say, thank you, God. Thank you that I can just play some small part. I don't know how it all turns out. And frankly, it's not all up to me. I'm not rejected if the guy doesn't believe in Jesus, right? I didn't fail. I didn't even have to have it all together or know where it all was. Let me tell you something. On your outline, it says, predecide to make my conversations full of grace to outsiders. Some of us have a hard time getting our mind around what grace is. Grace is is the compassion of God. It is giving to somebody who doesn't deserve something good, something good. So what do we do? What does it mean to make my conversations full of grace? How do I do that? Give me some practical ways. First of all, give grace, not judgment, right? What happens? Well, I don't approve of what you're doing, so now I'm going to give you, I'm going to add to my conversation judgment. How many times, people in this room, how many times, when you have a conversation with an outsider, you have a conversation with a family member, do you give judgment instead of grace? How many times do you feel the importance of telling them what they're doing wrong so somehow you might spur them to do what's right instead of giving them grace? Give them grace, not judgment. But I also want you to give yourself grace. 
grace, not pressure to know every answer. Some of us are fearful because we're like, I don't know it. I'm not like a pastor. I don't know everything about it. But again, give yourself grace. If God is giving you opportunity, he's working with what you have. He's not working with something that somebody else has. He's working with what you have, right? If he's giving you the opportunity, take the pressure off. Give grace. Give the love of God. Third, it says, I want them to go away having heard what? I want them to go away having heard what? Grace, right? Irrespective of all that we talked about, somewhere in there, the hard thing that they should go away feeling is there was grace in our conversation that might surprise them. Especially when they learn that you're a different religion. Especially when they learn that you're a person of faith. And then Paul uses this phrase. He says that, that our word should be seasoned with salt. You say, what does that mean? I mean, instead of just having your food... You grab some salt and you shake it on it, and what does it do? You're adding something to your food, right? So your conversation, if that's your food, you're adding something. Guess what you're adding? You're adding grace. Seasoned with salt means add grace to your conversation. Add grace to it. What does that mean? It means add a message of hope in Jesus. It's like a seasoning that they had not applied to their darkened thinking. I had never thought of it that way. That may be all that you're adding, is you added grace to what it already is their darkened thinking. They might be enriched with a new perspective. And the, the idea of adding salt here that Paul's talking about to the regular old people in Colossae, people like you and me, as he's talking to them, he's saying, listen, the idea of adding salt is not just, hey, it's a preservative, it's a seasoning, be preserving in your words, be seasoning in your... No, he's saying, listen, what it actually means, it means to add your personality, your charm, and your wit in how you answer people. Don't try to add somebody else's personality. Don't try to parrot somebody else's answers. Don't try to use religious phrases and slogans that you're not totally sure what they mean. What it means is you be you. Use your wit. Use your personality. Use your manner of charm as you give an answer, as you look for opportunity. Don't try to just simply think what someone else would say. So let me ask, can you look for opportunity? Would you be like a, a shopper? who's going throughout your day and just saying, God, I, I want to be the one who snatches up the bargain in the marketplace that other people miss. I want to be the one, God, who's praying and saying, God, I'm going to pray, but I'm going to be watchful in prayer. And I'm just going to ask you. And when you provide opportunity, I want to snatch it up. And then you're responsible, God, for the results. But I want to be the one to respond in that way. Could I add grace to my conversations? Could I have a reputation with outsiders that is strong and wise and loving? Could they hear love? It's going to start. God's going to change us as we pray. As you and I devote to prayer, God's going to change your circumstances. It's going to take your Christian experience and make it alive and real and daily, not just on the weekend. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Only in God's power, made real and powerful in my life, through prayer will I be able to consistently live and share the faith in such a manner that the word would spread and the unsaved will come to the Lord. God's strength, listen, is more than sufficient to do that in and through you. Just for a moment, will you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want you to think about only your own life. And maybe today is just the day to say, God, I, I am going to start circling some things in prayer. God, I'm going to watch for opportunities ahead, not worry about the opportunities of the past.
I'm just going to look, God, from this day forward, I want to look for opportunity to respond. Could I add grace? Could I add good news to my conversations with people at school, with people at work, with people in my house, with people online? God, I don't want to be right all the time. I want to be gracious all the time. Maybe today in this room you're realizing for the first time that the greatest gift of grace was that God gave his life for you, that God became flesh in the person of Jesus, and he stretched his hands out on a cross, and he died taking your sin and your shame upon himself. He was buried in the grave. He rose to new life because he's God, and maybe today you're just like, my prayer needs to ask Jesus in for the first time. Maybe you've never done that. And maybe today your prayer is just saying, God, I need you. And so with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if that's you today, then you pray a prayer like this, right where you're seated after me. Just say, Jesus, today I'm saying yes to you. I ask you to come into my life and make me a new creation. I don't have it all together. I don't even know where it all is. But I believe that you're God and that you died for me. So today, Jesus, I'm saying yes to you. If you prayed that for the first time, would you just raise up your hand anywhere around the room that this morning was your day of salvation, your day to finally say yes to Jesus? That's you. Just keep your hand up. Awesome. Believers in the room, let's be the kind of people who are praying for our church, for our leaders, for our world. If we care too much about prayers, we seem to care about politics. A lot more change would happen through prayer than politics. God, even right now, we don't put our hope in a political leadership and maybe a corrupt system. We put our hope in a Christ who is coming back, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is a good, good father, who is a, an amazing God, who is a, a righteous and true and pure and faithful and uncorruptible leader. And so, God, we want to live for your kingdom, even though our society and the societies of the world are darkened and corrupt. So, God, we just want to align ourselves with you until your return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We take a moment. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.